Hallelujah. Did you bring your Bibles? All right, let's take a few moments to get in the words. Make our declaration this morning. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today for your word that changes and transforms us and conforms us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you today that your word, like your life, is an inside job with us, Father, that your word is the seed that is planted in our heart that produces your life that it contains in us. And I thank you today for that life-giving exchange that we will receive as we receive your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, somebody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 17. Who do what? Are we having prayer tonight? Yes, prayer tonight at 6.30. Amen. Thank you, Sally. Amen. But we're having our, this is the first Sunday of the month, so we have prayer on the first Sunday of the month. So from 6.30 to 7.30, we will just be in here praying. Amen. Just seeking the Lord. We don't have much of an agenda for that. We just turn on some music and we just come together and pray and intercede for God. How many know we got a lot to pray about right now? There are people putting their lives on the line for what they feel is their right to have a choice about their personal health. There are all kinds of different areas that people are facing right now. Friends that you have, people that you have. So the Bible says that God looked for somebody to stand in the gap and make up the head. Somebody to intercede on behalf of somebody else. So tonight's the night when you just come and let God have you pray for somebody else. Amen. So we just get on our face before God. Joel chapter 2 says that, that he cast for the priest to, to weep between the porch and the altar and cry out for God to move on behalf of the people. Amen. So that's what we'll be doing tonight. The first Sunday of every month we'll be here. And uh, so tonight at 630, come out and join us for prayer. Praise the Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 says this. <coughs> but when they did not find them, <coughs> they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Amen. Amen. Or in other words, wait a minute. These Christians are messing everything up. These Christians are creating a rebellion. Amen. Not a revival. They're creating a rebellion. They're turning things up. Side down. Or in other words, they're turning things right side up. How many know the world is upside down? God just wants to flip it. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of people into real estate flipping houses. God wants to flip some lives. Amen. He wants to take some lives that are broken, that have been torn down, that have just decayed and everything else, and flip them and renew them and restore them. Amen. Hallelujah. We need to be in the people flipping business. Amen. God is so good. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this morning I just wanted, this is just going to be a continuation off of last week and talking about Jesus and how to be a rebel like him and how he lived in rebellion. But his purpose of rebellion not for, was, was not for his personal cause, but in order to get what other people needed to them. Jesus always moved on behalf of others, not for himself. And something happens when we walk in a rebellion that is to get God's purpose and his provision into the lives of people who need it and come against the things that are opposing and keeping it back. I put the, the Holman Christian Study Bible translation of this verse in your Bible, verses 3 through 5, and I want you to read it there with me because it's in the outline, and I just love the way this says it. For watch this, for though we live in the body, we do not wage war. Somebody say wage war. Wage war. 
So that means this is a battle. This is a conflict. We talk about this Thursday night in our life group that the, the weapons of what? Our warfare. Amen? So we're, we're in a battle. We, what do we put on? Ephesians 6 says that we're in conflict with principalities and power, spiritual rulers and wickedness in high places. And we're dressed with what? The whole armor of God. Amen? And so we take those weapons and we do battle. So we're in a war. So watch what he said. We do not wage war in an unspiritual way since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but they are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. I like that. To demolish the things that are strongly holding on. We de- I like this. We demolish argument and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And are ready, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed. Or Paul saying to the church there at Corinth, when you get your lives right, then we will have some answers about the things you would like to see us make a decision over. Amen. But we're not just going to move in this stuff. You need to do your part first. And that's kind of what I, it works in good this morning. Because many times we want to rebel against outside things. But God says, hey, you need a rebellion right inside your own heart. Amen. You need to challenge some things right inside your own life and deal with that. So look with me. We all have areas of authority and control and tradition that war against us and war against the truth. And in order for us to walk in the truth of God's word, we will have to choose to rebel against them in order to break free and possess the fullness of our redemption in Christ. So what Paul's saying, there's a war that's going on personally in your life. So those strongholds are the thoughts, the ideas, the conditions, the authority, the control that have been interjected into your life. You live in a world that is constantly trying to condition you to believe a certain way. It's called identity, value, and direction. They want to identify with certain areas, and once you have that identity, that identity now determines what you value, and identity and values always determines the direction that you go. Why do they want to be in our school? Why do they want to teach critical race theory in our school? Why do they want to teach gender fluidity in our school? Because they want children at a very early age to identify with those thoughts and those ideas, so that will then set their values for their life, so that when they come out, they will go in the direction that this culture wants him to go in. So identity always determines values, and identity and values together always determine your direction. Your direction is based on what you identify with. Your values come out of that identity, and that determines the direction or the choices that you make. Are you doing okay? So we all have those areas, so we fight that personally. Think about this. When we recognize Christ as our Redeemer, we will rebel against everything that keeps us from receiving the life that he gave his life for us to have. Jesus gave his life for you to have fullness of life in him. What we celebrated this morning is communion, is the fullness of the life of God inside of us. God's life in you. And there are things that war against you, thoughts and tradition that cause me to think, well, I just don't know, I don't think I have. Those things, those are the things you war to fight against. You rebel against that. I refuse to be brought into that bondage and that control. So it takes a rebellion. Amen. So that's why I said last week, many times we're, the church is praying for revival. Revival means to resuscitate something that's about to die. Amen. Well, I'm not about dead. I just need a good rebellion in my life. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That kind of comes natural to me, and I'm trying to get it on you. <laughs> praise the Lord. So watch this. 
hear it again. When we recognize Christ as our Redeemer, we will rebel against everything. Somebody say everything. Everything that keeps us from receiving the life that he gave his life for us to have. And we will even rebel on behalf of others to get them to cry. Something happens when, it, when I move out of just my life. And I'm probably going to hit you between the eyes this morning, but that's all right. But in this area, we, sometimes God tries to push us out of just being self-focused. Just my life. Something happens when I rebel against myself for myself. Of just being me for me. Just everything. Well, as soon as I get my life, as soon as I get this, as soon as I can get this, as soon as I can get that. Come on, live for something bigger than as soon as I. Live for something a little bit bigger than me getting my life together so I could do something for this. And it's in God, I need God for me, for me, for me, for me. Just break out of that and say, God, I thank you. I am the redeemed of the Lord. Every need in my life was already met. I'm fully rooted and established in the truth of your word. I am, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. Amen. And he's leading me. He's guiding me. Therefore, because I'm blessed, because I'm provided for, because I'm covered, because I'm, I, I'm just released and empowered with anointing to go to somebody else, then I can move on their behalf. Are you doing all right? Amen. Amen. So watch this. Think about this. The woman at Simon's house rebelled against the culture of her day to get to the feet of Jesus. For, her to, for, for this woman, a woman, a known woman of improper conduct and character in the community, knew that even to come in there and to touch other people, she was putting her life on the line. She rebelled against all of that of her culture to get to the feet of Jesus. And something happens in our life. Some of you need to have that rebellion because you let the culture of the day and people's opinions and people's thoughts and what will happen if people see me there. You need to get free from people need to rebel. I've said this over and over lately, but adults live under greater peer pressure than teenagers ever do. Amen. Teenagers, you know, they, they, they want to they, they have shoes and, 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 and clothes and, and look like and do that. But, but we live so that we live in a house that people think is cool. We live under so much peer bondage. So that people think I got it. Amen. I remember when we first started the ministry here, uh, my trade is concrete. So I, I poured concrete. I became a journeyman pouring concrete in 1974. So I've done it for a few years. And uh, so when we started the church, I had to get a job. So I went and started pouring concrete with this guy that uh, he felt sorry for me. And he had a roofing company. He said, Pastor, you're working way too hard pouring concrete and, and trying to plant this church. Why don't you come sell roofing for me? And, uh, and, and that's a lot easier. They won't be so hard on you, and you'll have more energy to do that. And so I tried to sell roofing, and uh, I would go into people's homes, and I found out most people were living a lie because they can't afford where they are. And so I go into their home, and this is back when almost all the houses in Cameron Park had shake roofs. How many remember Cedar Shake Roofs? And so Cedar Shake Roofs get the sun exposure, and they get these holes in them, and those holes then burn, burn through the ultraviolet rays, burn through the asphalt paper underneath them. The roofing paper underneath there, and you get a leak in your house. And so I'm going on these people's houses, and I'm looking at the roofs, and they got they got leaks in their in the roof. But then I'm trying to tell them, you got a leak in your roof, and you need to spend about anywhere from eighteen to twenty five thousand dollars to get a new roof on your house. And they're trying to freak out, and 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 I'm supposed to tell them I can get you finance. I can. They can't even afford to fix their roof, and they're struggling just to make the payment. Are you doing all right? But bless God, they're looking good on the outside. 
And so I could never close the deal. Because for me to close the deal, I'd have put him into further debt. I said, man, I just couldn't. So I was starving. So I went back to pouring concrete. Because <clears throat> I can do that. I don't have to tell nobody. Nothing. You put that stuff on the ground. You pour it. It's hard. You go home. You're done. It's awesome. Amen. Don't have to worry about it. Glory to God. So watch this. So get free. The woman at, the, at, at Simon's house got free from what people thought about her. What about the four friends that rebelled and ripped the roof off a house to get their friend to Jesus? Come on. Well, uh, do, do you have that kind of rebellion in your heart to get God's answer to your friends? That you would carry them to where Jesus is and then you get there and you're denied an entrance. But you said, bless God, I'm, I'm going to rebel against being denied an entrance. If I have to climb up on a roof and rip a roof off to get my friend to the need that, to his answer, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to his answer. I might be in trouble afterwards, but I'm going to get my friend his answer. What kind of rebellion. Amen. What about the mother that refused to be denied? The Syrophoenician woman comes, a Gentile woman. She comes to Jesus. She has a demon-possessed daughter. And she's not, not only crossing a line of redemption where Jesus hadn't been glorified yet, but she's crossing the, the cultural line of Gentile and Jew. So she's pressing into Jesus. I know who you are, and you, you are my answer. And Jesus said, I can't minister to you. I'm not sent to the Gentiles. I'm sent to the lost tribe of Israel. And this mama just like, hey, I don't care. I'm in a rebel spirit right now. I'm rebelling on behalf of my daughter against culture, against tradition, the tradition of the day. The Jews have nothing to do with these. Are you listening to me? And even Jesus with the woman at the well, what did he do? He rebelled against the culture that day. The woman said, well, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. The Jews had no dealings with the Gentile. And the lady saying, hey, I could care less about your answer right now. I'm not leaving here without my answer. And so she says, hey, but, but and Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And she said, well, I can trump you on that. Even the dogs eat scraps that fall from the children's table. And she kept pressing and through her rebellion of refusing, the rebellion of refusing to accept no for an answer. <clears throat> when it looks like it's a no, sometimes you just have to rebel against the no. All she got was no. She said, nope, I'm not accepting that. Are you doing okay? All right. So look inside if you wouldn't. To rebel means to resist or to rise against some authority, control, or tradition. What is tradition? Tradition is defined by this. The handing down of statements, beliefs, legends, customs, information. You know it has been handed down in our church? We, we read it, and I always like it because we read these scriptures. I remember when Jesus told the people of that day, you through your tradition have made the word of no effect. We'll go, man, those people are really religious. Let me just tell you this. You, through your tradition, have made the word of God of no effect. If the word isn't working in your life, don't get mad at me. I'll just tell you what Jesus said. It's probably because of tradition. You have traditional thoughts that cripple God's word. You have things that put controls and limits on what you believe for. You have things that become an authority over your mindset that nullify the power of God's word. They've been handed down to you. 
They're handed down from generation to generation. Listen to this. Especially by word of mouth or by practice. A story that has come down to us by popular tradition. Something that is handed down. A long established or inherited way of thinking. Amen. Years ago when the word of faith movement got stirred up again. Because it's always been a word of faith movement. That's why you've heard me say it all the time. People say, are you one of those faith churches? I said, what's the option? If we're not a faith church, what's the option? One lady asked me that one day on the phone, called and answered, are, are, are you a word of faith church? I said, no, we're a fear, doubt, and unbelief church. Come here and we'll just help you destroy your life. Because they think, well, they, they just preach that word of faith all the time. What saith that the word is nigh you, even in your heart and in your mouth? That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you shall believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Amen. You can't get saved without the word of faith. Amen. Are you doing all right? Yes. Amen. So watch this. Oswald Chambers says it like this. Let me just go back up. Think about this. A continuing pattern of cultures, beliefs, and practices. Tradition is a continuing pattern. And sometimes you need to rebel against that pattern being continued in your life. And I've shared it like this with the men and with others. And, and this is sometimes what you have to do. In 1983, we'd been in the ministry for two years in Bernie. And in 1983, my grandfather was an Assembly of God pastor for 56 years. And so we grew up through the Assemblies of God, through Pentecostal, and that being Pentecostal in church and stuff. I, I remember when people fall down in church and we didn't catch them. Amen. I remember five years old, a guy fell out. Grandpa prayed for this guy. guy fell out. And they had those old solid wood pews. Man, he fell back, hit his head on the corner, the, the, arm, the arm side of that thing. And I'm like, I'm like seven. I'm like, whoa. That dude's going to have a headache and a lump. Amen. If, if he gets up. <laughs> but nobody caught him. And he got up. No bump, no lump, no headache. Amen. So in dealing with that, now I'm not saying we're going to do that. We'll, we'll still catch you. <laughs> Amen. But... But, so, that's my tradition. So, at 25, when, when I went back to church, I, I went to Assembly of God Church. I got saved in Assembly of God. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believed in the doctrine they were teaching me. You doing all right? I believe that's my heritage. That's my family tradition. Are you with me? Some of you, that's what you're, the church you've been to. You're, you're in the tradition of your family. And some of you coming to this church, you were raised in a totally different tradition than what I'm preaching to you right now. And it's messing with you. <laughs> and so in that, so we go to Bernie, California. We're there for two years, and then this whole transition takes that. That whole church falls apart. Pastor resigns. Everybody leaves, moves out of town. It was crazy. And so we stay there. A new pastor comes in, and then he takes me out for breakfast one morning, and he says, hey, have you ever thought about going into some of these outlying areas where there's never been a Pentecostal work? And I said, no, I've never had that thought, sir. He said, you should have that thought. I said, are you trying to get rid of me? He said, basically, yes. So anyway, anyway, uh, we, we go, we're sitting there, and, I'm, and that's on a Wednesday morning. So we go to Wednesday night church. Wednesday night after church, these two families who would come down from, from, from Bieber down to Bernie, 45 miles, and they, they had Assembly God background, so they would come to the Assembly God church there in Bernie and worship with us when they could with the weather. Well, we became friends with them, the Jamesons and the Mulholland, and so after church, several of us went out to pie and coffee. I remember pie and coffee after church. 
We went out to pie and coffee after midweek service. We go into the restaurant. These two families are sitting there. And they, how many remember the days of brother and sister? So we go in, we, we walk in there, and they go, Brother Pritchard, Brother Pritchard, come here, come here. And I go, what's up, guys? Good to see you. And they go, hey, our pastor just resigned. You should come be our pastor. <laughs> I said, is that right? <laughs> and so now, now, now this is Bieber, California. This is a thriving metropolis of 500 people <laughs> in between Bernie and Alturas, 90 miles east of Reddy on Highway 299 called Big Valley. Amen. And, and it is. It's Big Valley. It's an awesome area. And stuff. But it, it is actually an area. Now watch this. It is an area where there had never been an established Pentecostal work. And this pastor who thought he was trying to get rid of me is actually being used by God. And so I told Sue, I said, hey, that's interesting. And that, and we're praying about what to do. And that, we've been waiting on the Lord. And I said, I, th- I, think, I think I'm going to apply for that. I'm going to go up there and check that out. And so she looked at me and goes, God will have to speak to me in an audible voice. I said, okay. So I just went ahead. And I sent these people my resume. Well, I'm Pentecostal. Their tradition handed down with them is all that died with the apostles. And so I come in and I preach to them. And my charming, bubbly personality wins them over. And I preach to them for eight weeks. And they have me keep coming back. After I preached for them the first week, you heard me say I had bubonic plague? So I preached for them the first week. And, and, and the following uh, weekend, I go fishing with the guy. And we go out to this little pond. We're catching some bass up there in the mountain ponds up there. And so on Tuesday, and so I'd gotten a job again in concrete, setting forms on a cogeneration plant there, running a foundation crew. And so I'm working there. And on Tuesday, next thing you know, I'm like having these weird symptoms. And I kind of pass out. So I go, go home. Next thing you know, they take me to the hospital. And I have bubonic plague. I contract a bubonic plague. I got bit by a flea fishing. Carried by a squirrel that got bubonic plague. And so, why? The devil doesn't want the message to be preached. So, trying to take me out. So, they put me in the hospital for seven weeks. I mean, for seven days, I come out of that. So, when people say, what about COVID? Dude, I've had bubonic plague. <laughs> You're freaking out about something that has a 99% survival rate. Dude, I've had bubonic plague. I've had hepatitis C. All that stuff. I am invincible. No, I'm too. Anyway. But, but in that area, so, so we're there. So I go back. After eight weeks, I said, you guys need to make a decision. And this is what I told them. I said, hey, you don't believe what I believe. But I'm not coming here to make you believe what I believe. This is what I will do. I'll preach the word, and I'll never compromise God's word. And that, those people voted me in 100%. They had no idea what they were getting. <laughs> and for six years, we had an outpouring of God's spirit. We had miracles. It just was amazing what God did there. But what happened was, is we just went back and we opened the word. And we had people who had been raised their whole life with traditions handed down. And God sent them a rebel. And we preached the word. We, we had people in their 60s and 70s getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had a guy raised missionary Baptist. Missionary Baptists don't believe in anything. Right. 
In fact, if you, if you, get, if you go to a missionary Baptist church, you have to get rebaptized because they don't even count your baptism as working any place else except in their church. So you got to get rebaptized in their church again to get the real one. So this guy's raised missionary Baptist. His wife is a Christian scientist. She's raised Christian science. I mean, that's a confused couple. Amen. So he didn't believe in anything, and she believes it's all in your head. Amen. So moving right along. So, so, so they both get, get saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's now given prophetic words in church. Amen. Our worship leaders that time, Marcia was raised to believe that tongues was of the devil. Her grandfather said, anybody speaks in tongues, you're of the devil. We'd been there a year, and her husband gets filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'd tease her all the time, the devil is in your house. <laughs> and, the, and, and then all of a sudden, then she gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. So one after another, God begins to pour out his spirit because God will rebel against your tradition to get the truth and the fullness of redemption into your life. Are you doing all right? And sometimes he'll send crazy people like me to help you. Yes. Glory to God. Are you doing okay? So think about this. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says this about an example of traditional thought that we must rebel against to be of use to God. It is the tradition of our right to ourself. You've been taught traditionally, culture teach. You live in a me culture. Look at what's happening in our world today. Everything is about my identity. Acknowledge my identity. I don't care whether it's race, whether it's gender. I don't care. What, whatever it is, everything is about my identity. Acknowledge my identity. And, and all that does is creating division and separation and conflict. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says this. Do you not know that you are not your own? If you name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... That means you have been bought, you, you partook of communion this morning. And if you partook of communion this morning, this is the price of your redemption. Jesus paid to redeem you. And in paying for you, he paid the price that qualifies him to be the Lord of your life. And you were bought with a price. Therefore, you are not your own. So glorify God in your body. Are you doing okay? So listen to how Oswald Chambers says this. This is powerful. He says, there's no such thing as a private life or a place to hide in this world for a man or a woman who is intimately aware of and shares in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. God divides the private life of his saints and makes a highway for the world on one hand and for himself on the other. Glory to God. God says, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll divide your life and I'll drive right through the middle of you. Amen. With the needs of the world that is around you. Hallelujah. Listen to this. No human being can stand that unless he is identified with Jesus. We are not sanctified for ourselves. Hear this. We are called into intimacy with the gospel. And the things that happen that appear to have nothing to do with us. But God is getting us into fellowship with himself. 
You, you, you know what happens when you worship like we're worshiping this morning? You know what happens every time we worship and, and God? He's pulling you. The purpose of worship is to bring you into intimacy with him. That, that is, you come in and you begin to worship. You begin to let down every other thing that is between you and him. You begin to put things down and, and just, if you would spiritually undress yourself from the cares and the pressures of this world and move into a moment of intimate union and connection with the Lord of glory hallelujah so there can be a transition of life to life and an impartation of life to life but watch it God is getting us into fellowship with himself let him have his way this is powerful if you refuse you'll be of no use to God in his redemptive work in the world now I didn't say that Oswald Chambers said that he's a little tougher than I am But it will be a hindrance and a stumbling block. Wow. Let me say this to you. As I was putting this together, the Spirit of God said this to me. He says, there's no intimacy without union. There's no intimacy without union. There's no intimacy without union. You can fantasize by yourself, but you cannot know intimacy by yourself. All kinds of people have fantasies. But a fantasy is not intimacy. It, it's a self-perceived thing in your mind. You can only have intimacy through union. Through connection. Through becoming one. The two shall become one. Which is why... One of the main things in our culture is so messed up because we have defiled the union between a man and a woman. You live in a culture and in a world where the sexual union between a man and a woman is defined only for pleasure, for discovery, and everything else. When it was never meant for that, it's for two to become one. It is a union between two that makes them one, that joins them soul to soul and spirit to spirit. Are you doing all right? And it's an example, a living example to you and I of the union we are to have with God. Are you doing okay? Watch this. This is a stronghold that must be broken and rebelled against. The rebellion of God in our lives is against the authority and control and tradition produced by the fall of Adam that is contrary to his purpose for his creation. Redemption is rebellion against sin and death. Are you hearing this this morning? Jesus came into this earth to redeem us. The only way he could do that was to come in complete rebellion against sin and death. And you and I as Christians, that's the posture we are to have. And the reason, let me put it to you like this. The reason the church needs a revival is because the people aren't living in rebellion to sin and death. We're compromising with it. We're accepting it. Are you doing all right? Hallelujah. I wonder if you guys would vote me in 100%. (laughs) Watch this. So Jesus rebelled against the self-life of humanity. 
in order to redeem us back into a unified life with God. Hear me this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. God is after a relationship with us that has nothing in between us. God wants a relationship with you that has nothing in between you and Him. When was the last time you just wanted to be with God? Lord, I just want you. I don't want you to listen to my plan. I don't want listen to you to, to hear my vision. I don't want you to meet my needs. I don't want you to answer my prayers. I don't want anything from you. I want nothing from you. I just want you. You know, Mel, you were doing that before service. Could you do that? I just want you. I don't have an agenda. I'm nothing. I just want you. In 42 years of marriage and my wife, the greatest enjoyment of our life is when it's just her and I and nothing else between us. No responsibilities. No place to go. Nothing to do. Just to be with each other. To be on to sit at the campfire and just be with each other. To walk on the beach and just be with each other. Nothing pulling, nothing distracting. Just enjoying the one that I've pledged my life to. But in order to do that, I have to rebel against all the voices that pull on my life. I have to rebel against all the tasks, all the responsibilities, all the things that want to come between just to be with her. Just so we can be one with nothing between. And the moments that we spend together as one are the moments that solidify and strengthen our relationship. So that when the pressures and the challenges of this life come, they can't get between us. I was driving up this morning. Somebody needs to hear that. I don't know whether you're online or here. When we started our church 32 years ago, we named our church Solid Rock Face Center based on Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, He that hears my word and does it will be like a wise man built his house upon the rock and the storms came and the winds blew and the floods came and beat against that house and it stood because it was built on a rock so the DNA of our church has been to get people to build their life 
upon the rock of God's Word. So that when the storms of life come, they don't get between you and your relationship with God. When the storms beat against and the floods come and the winds blow, they can't get between you and your relationship with God. You can endure all things because you've come into a living relationship with the living God who's imparted His life to you and in response you've given your life to Him and you are now one with Him and nothing can move you off of your relationship with Him. God is after a relationship with you. In the beginning, God created man and breathed this life into man in the garden and man became a living soul and a being and Adam walked with God and was naked before God and was not ashamed. There was nothing between man and his God. And God is bringing his people back into that reunion, that union again. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says the word of God is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and the thoughts and the intent of the heart to reveal to you anything that is in between you and God. And when the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, He's saying you need to rebel against this. You need to resist it because this is a control. This is a stronghold. This will become an authority that will operate in your life. And it will be between you and me. And it will hinder the intimacy that we could have together. You won't be able to clearly hear my voice. You won't be able to clearly be led by my spirit. And you'll be open to deception. And you'll be drawn into emotions. So I need to show it to you so you can rebel against it and resist it. Which is why verse 13 says, All of us are naked and exposed before Him to whom we have to give an account. You're doing all right. Because if I don't, there'll always be something between me and God. And every one of us, it's something different, depending upon your past. Depend upon what's happened. Depend upon the circumstances you've been through. God will always show you what's between you and Him. And the devil said, hey, that's not that big of a deal. And I'm not trying to do this in the wrong way. But a few weeks ago, I talked to you about substance being people of substance. It's that that presence of God that is imprinted into our lives when we spend time face-to-face with Him. A relationship with a man and a woman is a face-to-face relationship with something in between. You don't have intimacy together with something in between you. Everything is removed so intimacy can take place. Are you doing okay? That's what God is after in your life. Why does the Holy Spirit convict you? Because every time He comes, He says, uh, there's something there. And most of us, most people, most, every, I'll just put it like this. Every marriage problem is an in-between thing. The reason people have 
things in their marriage because there's stuff that they want to leave in between them and their spouse. Three major things in intimacy and marriage, problems in marriage. Communication, sexual relationship, and money. Those are three major areas that marriage is struggling. How you communicate with each other. Well, your communication skills are based upon how you were raised. Learn how to be better at it than your parents were. Bless God, all right, we always did that. Well, okay, that's a stupid excuse. So just go ahead and keep that between you and the one that you could be intimate with. Well, what about your money? You know how much people argue over money? Every marriage should only have one money. If you're a control freak over money, you need to get saved. Because it won't just be a hindrance, it'll destroy your relationship. Why would you let money affect intimacy? I'm being as nice as I can. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. Yeah, but I think... Well, just quit thinking and be intimate. Life would be a lot better. You doing all right? So many other things. Things that come in, doing that. Yeah, but I want... And what about our wants and our desires between each other? The things we don't want to get together. Look at You have to completely give yourself to someone to be intimate with someone. You, you, get, you get to strip yourself of everything. You get to bring nothing into that time of intimacy for it to be true intimacy. Doing all right. That's what God's after. And I submit to you, that's why the church says we need a revival. Because we won't rebel against the things that have come between. Stand with me this morning. In this day, in this hour, I believe we are closer to the return of the Lord than we have ever been before. Let me say it before. We're closer to the end of the book than we are to the beginning of the book. That's my eschatology right now. I believe in the rapture of the church. If you don't, stay here. Send me a postcard. Amen. I don't believe the church is appointed under wrath. I don't believe we're supposed to go through that season of wrath. I don't believe the church is appointed to 21 judgments. that God pours out upon a God-rejecting world in that time of wrath. I don't believe that the bride is to be beat before she's wed. You're doing all right. I mean, I have real simple theology. But in that area. But I believe in this hour, God's trying to get His church into a rebellious mode against the things that have come between Him and that. And it's personal. And if God can get one person to rebel and another person to rebel and another person to rebel and another person to rebel, then what will happen is those people will begin to move into an intimacy with Him with nothing between everything that's been there in their life, whatever's been between them, all that stuff, people will lose it. And that'll begin to fall out and God will begin to end there. And to why? The purpose of intimacy was so that life can be transmitted. It's for the purpose of new life. Are you doing okay? Let me put you like this. Do, do, do you understand that ministry, what I'm doing right now, is always spoken of in the masculine gender? And that the body of Christ, the ones you minister to, are represented in the feminine gender. Because when masculine and feminine come together, it's for the impartation of seed that produces new life. 
So there's a seed to be sown and a seed to be received for a new life to come forth. But in order for that to happen, the things that get between. What's gotten between you and being able to receive ministry? Do you have a bad church experience? That's between you and God now and going to church? You, you, you have bad memories from, from the past? Most of you, after being 32 years here, I only have a couple people that have been with us for 30 years. People, that's life. People transition. So most of you have come in, and every one of you has a past someplace if you don't. But you have to think. But what's between you and, and your concept of intimacy with God and fellowship in the body? This is really good this morning. But see, until that goes away, the church won't be able to produce. The church won't be able to produce new life. And so sometimes you have to rebel. I refuse to let my pastor. Wait a minute. I had a pastor tell me, you ought to leave. I'd spent three months raising money to move that sucker out from Kansas. I preached and kept the church together. The whole thing fell apart. I stayed there, preached for this guy, raised the money to move him out, get him out there, held a congregation. And he gets there, he goes, could you leave town, please? Amen. I just smiled. Sure. I don't know where I'm going to go, but hey. But then the next night, see, if you let nothing get between you and God, then that night you walk into a restaurant and say, hey, God says, hey, as long as you stay with nothing in between you, I can take you to the next adventure I have from you. I'll take you into a place of excitement, and I'll use you for my glory. And then you go to a church where people say, hey, I don't believe none of that. That's okay. I won't let what you believe get between, between me and God and what I believe. I just believe God can break that down, and God can move in your life, and God can use you to birth the move of God where there's never been a move of God. So here's your altar call. What's between you? What's come between you and God? What is God pushing on you right now to rebel against? What's between you and your marriages? Because if your marriage isn't right, your walk with God won't be right. Don't let anything get between you marriage and rebel against anything that tries to get out so as Melody and the team leads us maybe you need to start a rebellion move to this altar an altar is the place where you put the thing between you and God the altar is not the place where somebody prays something off of you the altar is the place where you present yourself as a living sacrifice and allow anything that's between you and your God to be burned up and consumed in his presence. Let the God who is a consuming fire take from you everything that's been between you and him. Let him bring you back into that intimate relationship of one with him, nothing between. As she sings, this altar is open. You come, find a place. Start a rebellion today and watch what God does in our county. Watch what he does in our church. Watch what happens when God's people start a rebellion.